0: so excited
1: to be preaching on Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all of you dads. I hope you are celebrated today that you get to just lay on the couch and drink a Tecate Light and have your wife hand-feed you grapes. That's what I'm believing for. Prophesying in Jesus' name. Well, we're gonna um, talk about um, God as Father today on Father's Day, and it's an interesting concept. You know, Jesus Christ was actually the very first person in human history to refer to God directly as his father. That's the way that Jesus addressed God. He said, my father. He's actually the very first person in recorded history to do that. And so we're gonna look at why that is. And before we do, before we jump into it, I do just wanna recognize that, you know, I know for a lot of people, this day is, can be complicated. It can be the same on, on Mother's Day as well. And you know, for me, like I'm, I, I'm a dad to three amazing kids. My kids are the best. I'm obsessed with them. I love them. They jumped into bed with me this morning, gave me a, a cuddle, and said Happy Father's Day, and my heart melted. And so, you know, filled with with high moments, but also, you know, my my dad died um, when I was 19 years old, and died suddenly and tragically, and you know, just as a result of some of his bad lifestyle choices, and so um, there is a tinge of sadness. Like, I'm sad that my dad didn't get to see the man that I have become. He didn't get to meet my children, never got to meet my wife, and so I know for a lot of us, this day can be complicated. You know, I know for you, Dave, the very first Father's Day without your father, and I know that for a lot of us, it can be a day like that. It can be heavy, but my belief What I've been praying for is that above whatever emotions are surrounding your earthly father or you as an earthly father, that you would be overwhelmed by the Father God who is the perfect father. That this day you would understand, if maybe for the very, very first time, the breadth and depth of the love of the Father God for you. So that's my prayer. So come with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. We're gonna read... um, probably the most famous parable of Jesus. If not, it's tied with the Good Samaritan, but it's actually Jesus's longest parable and uh, very, very well known. And it's the parable of the lost son or some translations call it the parable of the prodigal son. And so we're gonna read this story together and then we're going to talk about it. Luke 15, starting in verse 11. It says, then he said, this is, so Jesus is speaking. So Jesus is telling the story. He's telling the story to a crowd of tax collectors and sinners and Pharisees. So a, a crowd, just uh, a mixed audience um, at, uh, at, in first century Palestine. Then he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he, the father, divided uh, them His livelihood, divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. The word prodigal just means extravagant, okay? Just think Vegas, craps tables, bottle service, prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed the swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare and despair and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry for this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But the brother, the older brother was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, "'Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And the father said to him, "'Son, you are always with me "'and all that I have is yours.'" It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. What a beautiful story told by Jesus. And you need to understand that this would have been deeply confronting to this audience. Nobody ever, ever had referred to God as Father and so then Jesus tells this story about the nature and character of God as a loving father. And they would have, it would have like, like short circuit, does not compute, does not compute. But what is Jesus trying to, to show his listeners and show us about God being father? Again, Jesus only ever referred to God as my father. Every single time that Jesus spoke about God, he called him my father except for One time, which we'll come back to later. That's the punchline. That's the climax of the message. We'll get there in a minute. Every single time, my father. And so then he tells this story, sort of expanding on that, the, the, the nature of God as father. And there's three main characters in the story. Obviously, there's a younger son, there's an older son, and then the father. And those are gonna be the three points. We're gonna take a look at each of these characters of the story. So point number one, the younger son. The title of this message is A Father to the Prodigals a father to the prodigals. And actually, a lot of this message was based off a message from a man named uh, Tim Keller who passed away a few weeks ago and um, just wanna honor him on Father's Day. I'd say outside of Pastor Jurgen. This is um, the man that's probably had the most influence on, on me in my life. I never met him. He was a pastor in New York, but um, just passed away a few weeks ago from cancer and just wanna honor him. He, he preaches a message called um, The Prodigal Sons, which um, again, a lot of this message is, is based on. So point number one, the younger son. And there's two sons. You know the, the, I mean, not to say that the Bible got it wrong because that would be blasphemous and I would get smited right away. But it is weird that the title of the parable is The Prodigal Son, singular because there's really two lost sons. Both of these sons are equally lost and we'll see that. There's the younger brother and the older brother and the way that Jesus tells the story, both of them are lost. And so we'll start with the younger son. So you gotta understand, I mean, this, is, this boy is savage. He goes to his dad and says, father, I would like my inheritance now. And if you think about what that means, you normally get your inheritance when your father dies. This guy says, I would like it now, meaning you are as good as dead to me. There's nothing left you can give me. I just would like my inheritance. That's what matters to me. Can I please have my inheritance because I'm done with you? That's really mean, okay? On Father's Day, we should feel bad for this father. Kids, kids are savage. Anybody, anybody relate? Kids will just say whatever, no filter, no bedside manner, nothing. A couple years ago when my son Zeke, who's seven now, was a little bit younger, he looked at me in all seriousness and asked me, Dad, how come when you sit down, your body goes like this? And I said, you know, I don't know, son. And then I went and cried in the closet. And then I decided I'm gonna fast for the next three years. One time um, at Christmas, Christmas is always a big fight for Katie and I because she wants all the Christmas lights and I don't know why, it's a stronghold in my life that I believe I'm gonna get deliverance from but I can't stand putting up Christmas lights. Anyway, so a couple years ago, we'd been fighting about it, fighting about it, and then finally, I'm like, begrudgingly, it's like Christmas Eve, and I'm like, fine, I will put up the Christmas lights. And I'm like, bare minimum, like, you know, just like a string of lights around the door and like on our little little patio lentil thing or whatever. Well, my neighbor is like Clark Griswold from... Christmas vacation. Okay. He has like 10 million megawatts of light bulbs all over his house. So it makes me look even worse. So I'm out there like on a ladder up there trying to staple these Christmas lights and take out all my frustration on the cable. And Zeke's out there just kind of helping me and watching. And Katie comes out to check on me and I'm just, I'm just grumpy anyways. And so, uh, then Zeke says, Hey dad, do you think, um, maybe you could work a little harder so that next year we could afford lights like the neighbors. (laughs) And then I look over at Katie and she's just like, you know, face buried in her hands laughing. Kids will say whatever, they don't care. It's crazy. This son is so mean, goes to his dad and just says, give me my inheritance, you are dead to me. The thing that's crazy to me is the father actually does it. And it's, a, it's an important point about the nature of this, Father, which I'll get to in a little bit. But I mean, I would have been like, are you kidding me? Yeah, right. Go to your room, boy. But this father says, okay, sure. And so he divides his inheritance. And so the way it would have worked in those times, and again, we have to assume that there's only two sons because they're the only two characters in the story. And if there were only two, then the way the math would work out is it would have been one third would have gone to the younger son and two thirds would have gone to the older son because in those days, the older son would have been given a double portion of the inheritance. That's just the way things worked back then. So this younger son would have got one third of the entire value of his Uh, father's estate. And then we know the story. He goes off to Vegas and lives his life and squanders all of the money on what the Bible calls prodigal living. Again, the word prodigal just means extravagant. So he was at the clubs, at the craps table, bottle service, had all the friends in the world using his money for girls and fame and all that stuff. And then all of a sudden there's a famine in the land, the money runs out and he finds himself out of resources in a foreign land no no more money, it's gone. The, the economy of this, this land that he's in, tanks. So he finds a, a, a wealthy landowner and says, hey, can I come work for you? And, and again, in the story, we read that he's so hungry. So think about the, the, the life change that he's gone through, okay? He's been just living high on the hog, eating, you know, Wagyu, lamb. I don't know what they ate over there in Palestine, but whatever. Eating the finest food. And then all of a sudden, he's so hungry that he's looking at, the slop in the pig's trough, which is just all the leftover nastiness just dumped down there. And he looks at it and, and wants so bad to fill his belly with this slop. Okay, that's, the, that's where he's fallen to. And then all of a sudden the Bible says, he, he comes to himself and he says, what am I doing? Like even my my father's hired servants have bred enough, and not even just enough, but even to spare. And so then he rehearses this, this kind of speech. You know, it's kind of like you see in movies where you, you stand in the mirror and you say something to yourself fifteen times to try to get the inflection just right. And so he rehearses this speech of what he's gonna say when he gets to the Father. Okay, when I get there, I'm gonna say, and he's got it all planned out, you know, Father, I have sinned before you in heaven, I'm no longer worthy to be called your your son. Will you make me as one of your hired servants? You know, da da da. So he has this speech all rehearsed, he's ready to go. And I I think it's interesting because how many of us do that? What this son wants to do is buy back his position by working it off. He says, you know what? I've made some really, really bad decisions. I blew it, but I'm going to I'm gonna make me as one of your hired servants. It's interesting, he doesn't say make me a slave. He says, make me one of your hired servants. There's a difference. In those days, a, a slave would have actually been in a lot of senses, um, part of the family. They would have lived there on the property, been um, in and out of the, the house, had very close contact with the, the father and his immediate children. But he says, just, I'm not even worthy of that. I'm certainly not your son anymore. I'm not even worthy to be your slave. Make me as one of your hired servants. The hired servants, would they were like day laborers. They would just come in from the day work get their wage and then leave the property. So he's saying I'm not even I'm not even worthy to be to be close to you in any way. I just want to work, make money, and then attempt to pay back my debt. And so many of us that have have spent time out in the world like consuming the things of the world, making bad choices, we, we feel like, okay, I'm gonna buy it back. I'm gonna buy it back. I'm gonna start going to church. I'm gonna start reading my Bible. I'm gonna start praying more. I'm gonna, you know, maybe if I, if I get to where I'm leading a connect group or I start serving on a team and I become the head usher or, you know, whatever, that it, then it, it's almost like we, we think of it as some scale and it's like all of our bad deeds are on one side of the scale. And if we can just add up enough good deeds to outweigh it, then it'll all happen. And that's the way that this younger brother is thinking that I'm gonna earn my way back in. I'm gonna buy my father's favor back by working it off. That's what he's thinking. I'm gonna work it off. And and this this younger brother represents really what, you know, most of us kind of typically think about as sin, right? And the word sin these days has become so... It's just a weird word culturally. It's almost something people kind of snicker at. And we think of sin as like sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And that's that's what this guy, that's his life. He was the sex, drugs, and rock and roll guy, okay? But we'll see. That's not all that Jesus describes as as sinful behavior, as being away from the father. But that's this younger son. I'm just going to, I'm going to go and I'm going to, I'm going to work it off. I'm going to work it off. And so we'll see the father's response here in just a minute. But let's talk about the um, the older son. Now you got to remember point number two, the older son, the older brother. You got to remember Jesus's audience. He's preaching, telling this story to tax collectors and sinners and Pharisees all mixed together. And so tax collectors in those days, you know, it's not worth really unpacking just, but they were the, the lowest of the low at the time. They were Jews who would actually had sort of aligned themselves with the Romans, would tax their own people, line their pockets, essentially funding the army that was oppressing their own people and would actually pocket that money. And so they were viewed as just the worst of the worst of the worst. So you have tax collectors, sinners, and then you have the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the religious elite of the day. You know, wearing all their religious garb and obeying every single commandment of God to the letter of the law. So that's who Jesus is speaking to. So as Jesus is telling the story, the Pharisees are loving it. They're just like looking down their noses at all the tax collectors and sinners while he's talking about the younger brother. And, he, and they're like probably, it's probably the only thing in the history of Jesus' teaching that they actually were agreeing with. They're like being all awake in church. They were saying, amen. Wow, come on, somebody. That's so good. They were shouting down Jesus, being, being Pharisee shouter downers. But then Jesus starts talking about the older brother and they don't like this anymore. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. And they begin to realize almost immediately that Jesus is talking about them. So he tells the story now of the older brother and the older brother, again, is out in the the field doing his thing, whatever. And then here's this mm 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 coming from the house, says, what is going on? So he finds out that there's some big party because his brother just came back. And so he throws this pity party And and it's like literally a two-year-old tantrum, like he won't go in the house. He's like, I'm not, I'm not going in the house. And so his father has to actually come out to him and say, son, what are you doing? And then listen to what the older brother says. He says, lo these many years, I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. Come on, how many of you are upset your dad never gave you a young goat? to have a little goat party with your friends. I know, make some birria tacos. Come on, somebody. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about some quesabirria tacos. That's what he needed the goat for. He says that, that I might make merry with my friends, but as soon as this son of yours came who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And in that one discourse from the older brother, we see instantly the character of his heart. He doesn't care about, the father he doesn't care about the father's house he cares about himself you never gave me a goat so that i could make merry with my friends and you'll notice listen to how how cruel he talks about his brother he doesn't call him my brother he says this son of yours this son of yours and you'll notice people that are are deeply religious and i mean religious in a bad way i don't mean it in a good way people that are Obsessed with the rules of God and thinking if I just I'm gonna out I'm gonna out obey everybody and I'm gonna pull myself up by my bootstraps and and just be the best person I can be and and that's moral conformity it's thinking that if I'm just moral enough God will love me He'll accept me that's what this older brother represents you'll notice that he dissociates himself from his brother and you'll find that people who struggle with being um, a, a moralist and being obsessed with with being good and just trying to to to, to do all the things right and please God that way, you'll find that almost always they dissociate themselves with people that are struggling, with people that are in, uh, in some kind of addiction. It's, it's almost like they have no compassion for people that are struggling. You know, if I can get myself together and I can do the right thing, how come they can't? And we see that in this brother, that he doesn't call him my brother. He says, this son of yours. It's like when my kids are bad, they're Katie's kids. They're not my kids. When they're perfect angels, they're my kids. They're a product of my, of my fathering. When they make bad choices, they're Katie's kids. It's like that. That's what's happening right here. He says, this son of yours just dismisses his, his brother. I was actually talking to, to Gabe Lopez in between services and he actually brought up a really beautiful point that the, the older brother says, as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots? So how did he know? what his brother was up to. How did he know what his brother was up to? Because he didn't know that his, he's, he asks, hey, what is that sound I hear? And the servant says, oh, your brother just got back. So he didn't know that his, he didn't know his brother was back. It wasn't like he had a conversation. It was like, what have you been up to? And he said, well, been spending money on girls. And it wasn't, that wasn't it. So how did he know? It's because the father had been checking up on his younger son. They, he knew. And so the brother had a responsibility to go and rescue his younger brother and never did. No compassion, no compassion. And also take, take, uh, keep in mind that the father divided his inheritance, gave one third to his younger brother and gave two thirds to his older brother. So this older brother already had two thirds of the estate. But when younger brother comes back into the picture, all of a sudden his wealth is gonna be diluted again because now this younger brother is being brought back into the picture, part of the family and entitled to another inheritance. So he just says, and so you notice, you can see in his heart the selfishness that he, he doesn't love God because it is his, or he doesn't love this father because he's his father. Obviously the father is a picture of God. He doesn't love this man because he's his father. He loves this man because of what he can get from him. And you'll find that people who are, are religious and caught up in, in the, the cycles of moralism, they view God as a means to an end. That's why Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all of these things will be added to you. And so you'll find people that's, that think, and I used to do this a lot, think, oh, all of these things will be added to me. And Jesus was talking about material things. He was talking about food, clothing, money, like resource. And so you think like, oh, all of these things will be added to me if I just seek first the kingdom. Great, I'm gonna seek first the kingdom. But that's not seeking first the kingdom. You're seeking all that other stuff. And so again, seeking the kingdom is just a means to an end. The greatest irony of the Christian life is that when you actually seek first the kingdom, really and truly, you don't care about all the other stuff being added to you. And the crazy thing is, when you actually get to a place where you don't care about the other stuff, you just wanna seek the kingdom, that's the moment that the stuff gets added to you. But you don't care anymore, so it doesn't matter. That's the great paradox of our faith. You seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, then all these things will be added to you. This older brother was trying to subvert that, just viewed his father as a means to an end, just wanting his resource, his wealth, the status of being this this man's son. And so the thing that's so amazing about this story, again, Jesus is the longest parable he ever tells, is it covers Everybody. Everybody. Doesn't matter if you, like the life that I used to live, like I was, was caught up in, in the ways of the world, trying to fill the hole in my heart with, with women, drugs, alcohol, experiences, whatever. That was for me. That's what I was trying to use to fill the hole in my heart. I lived the younger brother life. Katie lived the older brother life, spent her entire life in a private school. You're a very beautiful older brother though. You're, you're gorgeous. I love you. I'm sorry. Yeah, I know. But in the story, Anyway. Katie grew up in a private Christian school, did all the right things, always wanted to make everybody happy, wanted to please her parents, please God, please. And and she was the older brother, got sucked into, into moralism. If I'm just good enough, if I just obey enough, if I just do the right things, then God will love me. Jesus says, All of you, all of us fall into one of these two categories, and we're all lost. We're all lost. He covers everybody, covers the, the tax collectors and the sinners, covers the Pharisees, everybody. So and Jesus said in Mark eight fifteen, he said, take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And same thing, saying, Herod represented, you know, Herod the Great was one of the most licentious, debaucherous yahoos to ever live. And that's, he's saying, beware of that life. Beware of a life of just thinking that the world is gonna satisfy. But then he also said, beware of the life of the Pharisees, thinking that you can earn God's approval, you can buy his love by being good. He said, beware of both of them. And that's what this story tells. That's the the younger son is the Herod side of things. The older son is the Pharisee side of things. Jesus says, all of us, no matter where you fall on the spectrum, are outside of the father's house. So lastly, as we come to close, I wanna look at the character of this father. And I think, first of all, the thing that strikes me again is just his, his generosity. Like the son comes to him and says, you're as good as dead to me, I would like my inheritance now. And the father actually said, okay, and divided his, his wealth and gave it to his younger son. And what a picture of God. God gives us free will to make our own choices. Knowing full well that you're gonna go off, gonna, gonna try to fill the hole in your heart that only your father can fill. You're gonna try to fill it with, with whatever thing. Pick anything. It could be success. It could be your career. It could be your kids. It could be sex. It could be money. It could be drugs. It could be alcohol, whatever. But the father knows that it will not satisfy and you'll end up back at his house I love his generosity and just the 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 empowerment he gives his children to go and make their own decisions. And you know, obviously, the the most clearly compelling moment of the story, the climax of the story, is when the father runs to his son. And so, again, take yourself to to the to that moment. This this um, younger brother is nasty. I mean, covered in. He's been working in the pigsties for months and smelly stinky no you know clothes all ratted out and from a distance his father sees him which is interesting because it means the father was looking for him okay the father was looking for him saw him a long way off and takes off running towards him you need to understand how this would have been to the to the first century listeners hearing this would have made no sense like older middle eastern men don't run they're too dignified. They walk. They, there's, they would never run. A, 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 a patriarch in first century Palestine would never take off running. He would have had to lift up his robe, exposing his bare legs, which a, a Middle Eastern patriarch would never do. It would be humiliating, embarrassing. And I, I read a, a commentary that said that actually in this moment, the father actually behaves more like a mother than a father and lifts up his robe and takes off running, exposing his bare legs, running to his son. And then the son delivers on his speech. You know, he says, I've been practicing this speech. I've said it in front of the mirror 15 times and here's his moment. The father's there. And so he just goes off into his, his speech and says, you know, father, I have sinned before heaven and before God, I'm no longer worthy to be called your, your son. Make me as one of your hired servants, da, da, da. And the beautiful thing is the father doesn't even acknowledge anything he says. Doesn't say, okay, nice speech, but no, nothing. Bible says that he just falls on his neck and hugs him the father. And then he says, um, bring the finest robe. The finest robe would have been the father's robe, by the way, he gives his own robe to the son. So he gives, he says, bring the the finest robe, bring a ring for his finger. A a signet ring would have meant you're part of the family officially. He says, put sandals on his feet, kill the fatted calf. And so we see the compassion of this father running humiliating himself. The Bible says that Jesus was was shamed at the cross, naked, beaten. And that's the picture we see that this Middle Eastern patriarch lifts his robe and takes off running, humiliating himself for the sake of bringing his son back home. And the Bible says he falls, the father falls, it's not the, the son that falls on the father's neck, it's the father that falls on the son's neck and kisses him. And I do, um, this is kind of not part of the message, but it's a little, Little free bonus snippet. As we are in Vision Builders Month, you know um, one of the biggest things our church takes um, flack for is our teaching around money. We talk about money a good bit, and if you've been here for any length of time, you know that. And um, there's there's um, some that would would in the big fancy theological term, they would say we have an overrealized eschatology, which would mean that um, you know it is universal. Christian understanding that when we are on the other side of the grave in heaven, that we will be rich beyond compare, walking on streets of gold, you know, mansions in heaven, and the whole thing. But um, there's a lot of people that say that that's that's just for the other side of the grave. That that actually this side of 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 heaven, we're meant to be to be poor and destitute. And the problem, this story. I don't know how you can read this story and hear that. And I want you to understand the, the intricacies of this story because the father provides his inheritance to his children, before he dies, before the actual appointed time for the inheritance. So the father lets his children enjoy and live in the wealth of his estate before the appointed time. And remember, this isn't some Old, Old Testament passage in Deuteronomy, this is Jesus himself speaking. And so it convinces me that God wants us to walk in blessing as our father. And again, not so that you can, you know, live like the prodigal son and all the blessing can terminate on you. That's not what it's about. You're blessed to be a blessing. Resource comes to you so that it can flow out of you. Paul said in Galatians that we are heirs of the promise of Abraham and the covenant that God made with Abraham is that you're blessed to be a blessing that through you, Abraham, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed and so we walk in that promise we are meant to bless the world and so that i'm convinced of that when i read this story that jesus tells so jesus wants us to understand the character of god by the telling of this story that he is a father and it doesn't matter a good father it doesn't matter where you find yourself on the spectrum maybe like me, you've spent time trying to fill a hole in your heart with the things of the world. And if I can, you know, just whatever, get the next, the next thing, the next hit, the next drink, the next girl, the next relationship, the next promotion, the next anything, trying to just fill that emptiness inside of you, then you're the younger brother. And maybe, maybe you're, you've tried your whole life to be good, and, and I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna obey the commands. I'm gonna, I'm gonna follow the rules. I'm gonna, I'm not gonna live like everybody else. I'm gonna. Then you're the older brother, and Jesus says that all of us doesn't matter where you find yourself on the spectrum, need the rescuing of the Father. And as I, I saw a, a video a couple of years ago that I think tells this story really beautifully. Um, And uh, it's just kind of like a a short modern rendition of, of this story. So we're gonna watch this and then we'll close out the service. Turn your eyes to the screen really quick and watch this.
2: Long time since we talked. I was, I was kind of hoping you'd answer, but um, I understand you probably don't want to talk to me. I've just gone so far, and the things I've done—I I just regret it, you know. And I know how bad I've hurt you and let you down, but but Dad, I. how we drive around and just talk about life and I just I just want to come home but I know you've probably written me off see you. I know I can't just show up at the front door like I used to, but but if you want to see me, just hang a small sheet out on the porch. If the sheet isn't there, when I drive by, I'll keep going and, and I'll try not to bother you anymore. I love you, Dad.
1: I love that telling of the story, and I think we—it's—it's um, it's hard to to, to process that—that that, that God would love us that much, even in spite of our failures, our mistakes, our hurts, habits, hang-ups, whatever. And as we close um, again, I mentioned that at the beginning of the service that Jesus only ever referred to God as my Father, except for one time. One time we know of that Jesus didn't call God, my father was on the cross. And he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's interesting, why then? It's because that was the moment that he actually forfeited his own sonship so that we could become sons, so that we could be daughters. Why don't we hop to our feet? I wanna pray for us. Um, and I wanna pray for you if you're in here today and don't know God like that. Maybe to you, God is a cruel taskmaster, um, always trying to withhold from you, get you to stop doing the things that you love and, and pull you into some boring life of Christian service. I'm just telling you, that's not, that's not the God I know. The God I know has brought me into a, an adventure, a destiny I could have never even imagined for myself. Maybe, maybe you're the, like the younger brother. Maybe you've, again, been off trying to fill the hole in your heart with, with whatever, with your job, career, whatever, fill in the blank, doesn't matter. Or maybe you're like the older brother and you have spent your whole life trying to be good enough for God to love you. And Jesus would say, it doesn't matter where you are, you need the father to come and rescue you. And I think it's so beautiful that in both cases, the younger brother and the older brother the father leaves the house and pursues them. We see that obviously with the younger brother, he runs to him and hugs him. He does the same for the older brother. Imagine how embarrassing it would have been to, be, to have this, this party going on. And it would, you know, if they killed the fatted calf. It was not just like family dinner with the four of them or whatever. It was, it would have been a huge celebration. Hundreds of people coming from all over, family, extended family. And then he's like, where's my, my oldest son? And someone has to tell him, oh, he's outside pouting. And this father had to leave the house, say, excuse me to all of my guests, but he did it. He left the house, pursued the, the moralist, the one who had tried to do good his whole life and plead, the Bible says that he pleaded with him, that the father begged him to come back inside. So it doesn't matter where you find yourself on the spectrum, God is gonna leave the house and come after you. So if you're in here today and, and you know that that, that is you on, on one side of the spectrum or the other, it doesn't matter. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes if we could as we close. And if that's you and you know that, that God is calling you home, and maybe you feel like you're a long way off, just like the younger brother, long way off. But the story is not that the father waited for him to clean himself up and work his way back. The Bible says that he ran to him. Jesus tell us, tells us that the father ran to him and he's running to some of you today. But it's beautiful because in the story, the father throws himself on the younger son and hugs him and kisses him, the Bible says. And the most important little subtle part of the story is that the younger son let him do it. The younger son could have, when the father got close, kind of stiff armed and said, No, 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 don't, don't. Don't dad. Don't, 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 don't. I'm I'm, I'm too dirty. I'm too I'm, I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed. Don't. But he didn't, he actually let his father embrace him. And that's what you have to do today. If God is running after you to hug you, embrace you, kiss you, and tell you welcome back to the family, to put a robe on you, and the robe signifies cleansing and and covering, it, it, He would have showed up smelly and stinky and disgusting, and the father said, I, I don't care, I want nothing to do it. Wrap the finest robe around him, covering him. Put a ring on his finger. The ring means you're part of the family. It's a sign of authority. He said, Put sandals on his feet. The sandals signify a destiny, a purpose. I've got a I've got somewhere for you to go, somewhere for you to walk. That's what this father does when the son, when, when he, he encounters the son, but the son had to actually let it happen. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, you need to let him love you. Let him call you into his house. And so if that's you, here in a second on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to just shoot your hand up in the air and 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 I'll know that, that it's you that I'm going to be praying for. And I'm going to walk you through a very, very simple prayer. And it's a prayer of, of exactly that, of just acceptance, of, of accepting that embrace of your heavenly father. And again, it doesn't matter if you're the younger brother, the older brother, whatever side of the spectrum you find yourself on, but if, if that's you and you know on this Father's Day that your heavenly father is, is pursuing you and calling you home and you're ready to, to to accept that gift, the gift of being welcomed back into his house, the gift of salvation, the gift of being a son or a daughter of God. If that's you, on the count of three, I just want you to shoot your hand up in the air really quick so I know who I'm praying with one, two, two, three. Who are those ones that need to make that decision? See that hand, I 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 see that hand. Who else? I see that hand in the back, I see that hand right there. I see that hand right there. Great, who else? Over there on my right. Awesome, proud of you. See that hand? Amazing, you guys are awesome. Who else needs to make that decision today? Once I've seen your hand, you can go ahead and put it down. Anybody else? God is knocking on the door of your heart. The Bible says that Jesus knocks on the door of our heart. And if we'll open the door, he'll come in and dine with us and us with him. But you have to open the door. He doesn't kick the door down because that's not very gentlemanly like, that's rude. Anybody else know that he's knocking on the door of your heart on this Father's Day? I need to make that decision. A couple more seconds. Anybody else? Amazing, amazing. I see that hand right there. Awesome, great, great, beautiful. I see that hand there in the back. Anybody else? Two more seconds. One, 1,000, two, 1,000. Come on, can we give a big round of applause for everybody that raised their hand so proud of you. That's probably 10 or 12 of you. Here's what we're going to do. I'm gonna walk you through a prayer just like I said I would. Um, It would not be very expedient for me to do that with each and every one of you individually. So what I'm gonna ask you to do here in one second, the band's gonna gonna play and sing a song, but here in a second, I'm gonna get down off this stage and I want you, if you did raise your hand to make your way out of your seat, come down to the front and just line up down here. I'm gonna be down here. I wanna shake your hand, I wanna meet you and then I'm gonna walk you through a prayer like I I said I would. So if you're sitting next to somebody that raised their hand, would you maybe offer to walk down here with them? But come on church, can we we shout and cheer and celebrate and give a big round of applause everybody that raised their hand come on go and make your way down come on worship team go ahead and make your way down Celebrate everybody up here. So proud of you. Hey, listen, I want to, you know, maybe... Maybe you liked me a few minutes ago and now you don't like me because I made you walk up here and I understand. But let me just tell you that the reason we do this, it's not to embarrass you. It's not to, to make a scene or anything like that. Everybody in here is celebrating you. Um, and the reason that we want you to do this to come forward is is there's something about getting out of your seat. And I've, I heard it said one time that if you stay where you are, you run the risk of staying where you are. And so when you walk down to the front, there's something about it that says, in front of in front of all of my peers, I'm making a decision, and things are going to be different from this day forward. And I want to just encourage you. You know, I, I did this 18 years ago, and and my life has never been the same. I was, um, I didn't didn't plan on being a pastor. I didn't go to professional pastor school, didn't. I was just lucky to, my wife would like drag me to church and I would go begrudgingly. But God has um, healed my heart, has launched me into a destiny I could have never imagined. And I'm, I'm telling you that because I'm not special, okay? God's gonna do the exact same for you. For you, for you, for real. He's got a destiny for you, a plan for you, man. I just see you being a on this Father's Day just a picture of you sitting around a table and and your kids and grandkids praying and honoring you as the as the patriarch of their family and saying, "Hey, you know, we owe so much to to our, our grandpa for, for being a man of faith, for shifting everything in our in our family. And I just see the generations after you honoring you for making this decision today. So come on, one more time, can we just give a big round of applause for everybody up here? So here's what we're gonna do, we're gonna pray. I'm gonna just say a prayer. You guys just repeat right after me. And listen, we're not gonna make you do it all by yourself. Everybody in the building is gonna be saying this prayer at the top of their, of their lungs. They better be, all right, I'm watching you guys, okay? Because we don't want you to feel like you're doing it by yourself. That's the whole point of church. Okay, you get God as your father, but you get a bunch of amazing brothers and sisters too. So come on, let's all pray this prayer together. Come on, everybody in the building, say, Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you today for sending Jesus on a rescue mission to save me. Today I declare my sins are forgiven, that heaven is my home, that I belong in the Father's house, that my Father has a destiny for me. My Father as blessing for me. I am a child of God. In Jesus' mighty name, amen,
0: amen, amen. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing, it is chock full